Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. This is the Grizzlies Podcast with the only beat writer the Memphis Grizzlies have ever known, Ron Tillery, with columnist Jeff Calkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. Welcome to another edition of the Grizzlies Podcast, a postseason free agency edition of the podcast. Ron Tillery here, sitting alongside pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington and general columnist, sports columnist, so lead sports columnist Jeff Calkins is on the phone lines with us. Yes, we're that fancy. We can do this. Um, well, the 4th of July was pretty damp around here with all the rain, but there were fireworks because Zach Randolph agreed to sign with the Sacramento Kings, so his era in Memphis has ended. Your thoughts, Chris? Um, I, You know, it's sad to see it happen, but we all knew it had to happen sometime. Um, I think a lot of people were hoping it would happen when he was done playing basketball. But at some point, there was going to be a Memphis Grizzlies without Zach Randolph. And mm-hmm. given where the Grizzlies are right now and given the, the the amount of money that Sacramento offered him, I don't think many people are shocked that that, that, that he's heading on this summer. Yeah, I'm not shocked that he, that he left either. Um, and mainly because of where the Grizzlies are situated with their cap. Right. You know, they have um, three max contracts and it takes up 70 percent uh, of the payroll. And uh, but I'm not also shocked that Zach Randolph commanded and received 12 million a year. Uh, he's still a very productive basketball player uh, who can help any team. Well, my my only prediction, the only prediction I made about Zach Randolph and free agency was that he would not leave Memphis for less money. Mm-hmm. The idea that he would go take a minimum somewhere, I, I didn't see that happening. Yeah. That that if he left Memphis, it was going to be for a good offer, and he got a good offer. And one of the problems for the Grizzlies, I don't know if they would have wanted him back at that price, period, especially on two years. I think the two years is important. But the situation they're in with, with Jermichael Green, I think they would prefer Jermichael Green be their starter. I don't think They like Zach Randolph in that six-man role, not as right. their starter. But they, they need a starter, and it was going to be hard for them, even if they wanted to bring Randolph back, to commit to a deal before the Jermichael Green situation played out. And because mm-hmm. Jermichael Green is a restricted free agent, it tends to take time for those situations to play out if you're going to use your leverage to try to get a good deal. And so for all kinds of reasons, it, it, it seemed it was headed towards Randolph moving on. Jeff, my sense was that the Grizzlies, to piggyback Chris's comment, basically told Zach, Tony, Vince, you know, sit tight, let us conduct some business. And particularly to Zach, we need to find out what's going to happen with J. Michael. Um, did this play out the way you thought it would? Well, I always think, and I think the Grizzlies were aware that there was a chance any of these guys could get, I don't think, I think less of a chance with Tony or Vince, but certainly I think they thought that there was a chance that Zach would get a big offer, a big short-term offer. Honestly, I think they probably thought it was more of a one-year deal, that someone might throw up more money at him than, than he could turn down. And I think I think they knew that. I think there was, and they, this is a very different position they're in than they have been in the last few years when they just push all the money to the table, offer more than anybody else, and hope that they say yes. 
you know, is very different where they're sort of partly having to react. There's no question that they're living with the consequences of the Chandler Parsons contract and maybe for a long time, and it will shape a lot of things for a long time. I'm sort of with Chris and that I don't know, I don't think they probably would have done two years 24 for Zach either way. I would have liked to see him retire a Memphis Grizzly. I think most Memphis fans would have liked to have seen him retire a Memphis Grizzly. And yet, I think it's a circumstance, and it may be a little different with Tony Allen, which we can get to in a little bit, but I think it is a circumstance where it's hard to sort of, I don't blame, Zach gave him a discount last time. I don't blame Zach in the least for taking as much money as he can get for his what is really his last contract. And I don't blame the Grizzlies for not, you know, for not coming up with $24 million, which they really don't have and couldn't do or whatever else. So this is one where you sort of, I feel sad about it. I think it's devastating in many ways emotionally. I mean, you can see that on social media and elsewhere, and I think it's important to recognize what Zach has done. But I don't think this is one where you can point your finger at either side and say, boy, they really blew it, you know, or even where you can be mad at them. If I'm a Utah fan, even though Gordon Hayward wrote what he wrote in the Players' Tribune, I'm still, you know, I got no use for Gordon Hayward. But it's a very different feeling with Zach, and I think that goes for both sides, who I largely absolve on this one. It's just the way it played out. Yeah, but, you know, I I agree with that, and it still doesn't make it any less sad because Zach Randolph is a legend in this town, and and he's he's an iconic figure for the Grizzlies franchise. And you just can't say enough about what he's meant on the court and off it. Well, it'd be one thing if this was happening in the team, because the team is transitioning and that happened, you know, Akeem Olajuwon played in a Raptors uniform and Patrick Ewing played in a, in a, in a magic uniform. This happens in the NBA, right? Paul right. Pierce just retired a clipper. Um, and those were guys who were drafted by their previous teams, won titles. You know, if that can happen, Zach Randolph can move on. Right. I think it would be easier to digest, and Jeff alluded to this, if the Grizzlies, if there was a sense that the Grizzlies were handling this transition better than they are, instead of trading a first-round pick for Jeff Green, who's the antithesis of Zach Randolph, instead of giving a max contract to Chandler Parsons, who's sort of the antithesis of Zach Randolph, instead of taking a swing on Ben Backlamore, who we can talk about later, but his has never done anything and yeah. is thought to be sort of a low IQ kind of player. You're you're passing on a veteran who who was a great player who embodied sort of this ideal of the kind of team you wanted to be, this tough-minded, mm-hmm. professional kind of team. And the players that you, you've been trying to transition with are not the same caliber of competitor and, like, pure basketball player that he is. Well, you know, and, and along those lines, there are actually some people who question, is J. Michael Green the guy you put Zach Randolph on the bench for? Right. I mean, I mean, that's, they, I mean that's a good point. They would have much preferred to put him on the bench, I think, for, for lots, of, lots of other players. Mm-hmm. Um the problem fundamentally with the organization is that, like, is is Andrew Harrison the person who last year you put Tony Allen on the bench for? I don't think most people argue that Tony that, that, that Tony Allen should have been should have been on the bench, or is it a stage in his career where, where being a bench player is okay? But they haven't been very good at finding better players. <laughs> They've been terrible at finding better players, and so here we are. I do think Ron's point in terms of I mean I, that's why I spent my column just sort of celebrating Zach because. I, I was astonished when I went back and I look at that greatest grizzly thing we did a year ago. The guy got, I mean, there have been, there are four of them, you know, there's Tony and there's Mike and there's Mark and there's Zebo. And yet through all the rounds of the voting, 92% of the votes of the greatest grizzly ever. He is that he, they were, you know, they were dreadful till he got here and they became relevant the moment he got here. And it's not often that you can have players who are both 
fabulous and also perfectly reflect right. the spirit of the city and, and magnify, really, and define the spirit of the city. And Zebo did all that and more. Well, that, well, that's why he's special on, uh, among them, because, I mean, Mike Conley and Marcus Hall are all-star level basketball players, and Tony Allen sort of embody is a colorful character who embodies sort of this toughness and this sort of identity. Zach Randolph is the one player who is both, right? right. He puts it all together in, in one package, and that's why he has been the signature player of yeah. this era. And it started when he got here, if not for the ridiculous experiment with Allen Iverson in 2009 when Zach first got here they may have made the playoffs they were a 21 team they won 40 games that year they they and just missed they were headed towards that until marcus all got hurt at the end of that season missed like the last two or three weeks they may have made the playoffs and marcus all didn't get hurt at the end of the yeah. season and they started right. one and nine yes yeah. or something like that you know i i think when i look back on the acquisition um you know i i just feel like zach was kind of mixed characterized um you know the perception kind of like overtook the whole deal people thought he was a monster a black hole this that and the other when i think over the last eight years you know memphis just got to see zach randolph for who he is um both as a double double machine and a guy with a big heart i mean and and who he became too i think it's worked perfectly for both sides i mean zach's Zach's image now, and let's be honest, I fell for that. That I was, I was as guilty as anyone as writing that column when he first got here. But um, because that was the perception, and the and the remarkable thing is that is that Zach not only changed the perception of Memphis and Memphians, he also like he got a lot out of this too. Like he changed because he was who he was and carried himself the way he did and was as productive as he 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 was beloved for the first time. And right now. You know, if you ask same question, that same question around the league about what Zach, Zach Randolph is all about, it's a very different answer than you would have gotten eight years ago. And that, I think, showed that you can redefine yourself, which is not an easy thing to do in this universe. Well, the other so, thing, I mean, Zach Randolph may be an extreme example because of sort of, you know, the labels that were put on him rightly or wrongly. Yeah. But, you know, he's been here eight years, right? He's 36. He came in when he was 28. A lot of people from their from their 20s, late 20s, as they transition through their 30s, they change and they become – we've seen his kids grow up, right? Yeah. We've seen Zach Randolph go from, like, the young NBA player with his buddies to the family man who's at the game with his wife and kids, right? So – and that's a transition that I think a lot of people in all walks of life make from their 20s as they go yeah. through their 30s, right? I guess what I, I would – what I think is that he didn't do anything. That's a good point, Chris. But he didn't do anything extraordinary to, you know, redefine himself. And the reason I say that is because Zach Randolph is not a fake tough guy. You know, that, that's what we like about him. He's a right. tough guy. He's the same guy who got suspended for Game 7 for punching uh, 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 the Thunders, Steven Adams. He's the same guy who choked and yeah. slammed. Uh, but, but he's the same guy that went and tried to get Kendrick Pers- uh, Perkins uh, through some steel doors. Right. When, when he's not on your team, he's a punk. But when he's on your team, you love it because that's, that's not fake toughness. He's also the same guy that stood in Houston when James Harden shot 20-something free throws and the Grizzlies had two and summoned us over and took the $25,000 fine for the team because it wasn't right. Same guy that writes $20,000 checks to ML and G&W um, to help needy families. So I, I just think it's a good thing that Memphians got to see him for who he is. What do you think? What do you, I haven't heard many people talk about this, and you're a good person to speak to it, Ron. Mm-hmm. What do you make? Obviously, he got, he, got, he got the good deal financially. 
but he got it in Sacramento, where Dave Yeager is there, who was his coach before. You you have a better feel for what their relationship was like, but I have to think it's not an accident that 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 he has that connection there. That I, was, I presumably Yeager was campaigning for oh, for that, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah, because that's a young team that needed some kind of veteran leadership, and and Yeager knows better than anybody um, who's coaching in the NBA today what Zach will bring. I mean, last year, Zach had 20 double-doubles off the bench, the most in the NBA, and was very productive in that six-man role. And um, as you talked about his maturity, uh, he mentored Jay Michael. Right. You know, he's he's been a solid locker room guy. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, Zach's the kind of guy, listen, you know, he and Lionel, you know, fought all the time I'm verbally right. and um you know I'm sure he had his issues with with Dave Yeager but Zach ultimately is a guy who goes out and competes no and that, matter who's the coach he's got a, he's got a professional pride like nobody else and that's an organization that everything they've come out of and who knows if they'll transition into something mm-hmm. better but they're trying they're trying to change their culture right and so that's why you go out and some people can second guess it but that's why you go out and you get a george hill and you get a zach randolph who are both like total pros right. playoff proven tough-minded like those are guys who will change your culture yeah right? because Jeff, let's face it i mean when when zach went to the bench you know, he didn't like it. He accepted it, but he, right. he didn't like sulk. I mean, he went out on the floor and made everybody else pay for it. Right? No, he was he was he was tremendous about that. Um, it is sort of ironic. I mean, Dave Yeager is the guy who benched him for Jeff Great, and Dave Yeager is the guy who first tried to send Zach to the bench. Obviously, we now understand that he did appreciate um, what 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 Zach brought. Um, I do think lost in some of all of this is Zach is a basketball player was really significant, particularly to the second unit um, last year. And in addition to all the symbolic Zach and the physical Zach and the iconic Zach and all these things which are true and are really the most important thing to talk about probably, there is the, uh, you know, the the, 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 the candidate for sixth man of the year, double-double, lots of double-doubles off the bench Zach, who will be missing from the second unit. And that sort of brings us to you know, what the Grizzlies are doing and becoming and Jay Michael and everything else. Well, well, typically around the league, the classic six-man offensive anchor is a guard, right? It's Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, and players like that. But you need someone off the bench to create offense, and Zach Randolph was like the front court version of that. And to your point, you look at the roster right now, and in terms of their bench, there is no one, not a single person you look at and you think, okay, that's the guy, if we need to get a shot, that's the guy we go to. They don't have that at all right now. And you're right, that's a big, that's a big, there's a, there's, it's not the only hole in the team, but that's a big hole in the team right now. Yeah, I, I don't see them coming back. Let's just put J. Michael on the team right. as constructed. I, I, I have a sense that there's a, a move coming. They, they, they almost have to make a deal for that reason you stated because right. they they don't have much flexibility free agent wise to go out and acquire another another player. What they can do, just you know, for people listening may may not know. I mean, but because they they signed Ben McLemore, um, and that used their main their they didn't have cap room. They have they have various exceptions you can use to sign players, and they use their biggest one on Ben McLemore, and so the most they can spend right now on an outside free agent is basically three million dollars. They have a couple mechanisms to do that, and so they are not in 
position, barring trade, to to acquire someone of significance who is outside the organization. And that puts more more weight on needing to bring back Jermichael Crane. And maybe I don't think it'll happen, but maybe thinking about Tony Allen and Vince Carter, because, you know, you do have your bird rights on them and you can sign them without, you know, using, you know, cap space or exceptions on it. Yeah. What's your what's your feel for Tony? He he uh apparently uh Twitter went crazy today because he removed right. grinding for the Memphis Grizzlies from his Twitter profile. Well, I mean, I, I, I it seems likely that Tony is gonna move on, um, because when they signed Ben McLemore and Wayne Selden, now it's less of a, of a financial issue with Tony Allen than a roster issue. They have too many players at that position and too many wings. Mm-hmm. So they have like seven wings right now, and that's not even including Wade Baldwin or Andrew Harrison, who are sort of combo guards. Right. And so to me, even though they have the finan- they probably have the financial room to bring back Tony Allen, they don't have anywhere for him on the roster. And so I can't – A, I think he's probably not back, period. Mm-hmm. But I can't see him back or Vince Carter back unless they move somebody, unless they move a James Ennis, they move a Troy Daniels, someone like that to free up mm-hmm. roster spots. And, and for me, the Tony thing is, is, is different. I mean, it'll be – he wasn't the player, obviously, that, that Zach was, as you, as you pointed out, Chris. Still second-team all-defense. He was still second team all defense, and he still. The difference is this: Zach, like the Grizzlies, didn't move on from Zach. Zach got a huge offer and took it, right, relative to where he is in his career, etc. The Grizzlies essentially, it seems to me, by signing Ben McLemore and 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 Wayne Selden, have essentially moved on. They basically moved on from Tony, and so I think that one is, to some extent, more of a. It's a. It's clearly a management decision. It's an interesting management decision, and as, as you pointed out, Chris, the organization has taken risks before, and they have paid off. Uh, they took a risk with Zach Randolph, incredibly productive player, with some off-the-court stuff. They took a risk with Tony Allen when they, you know, they, they, they let a guy that they traded a first-round pick go uh, in order to sign him, and Tony's kind of what was known as a little bit of a uh, interesting character before he got there. But it took, but they took risks on productive, productive players. Here they're taking risks on, particularly in the, in the case of Macklemore, a guy who's not all been a productive player. And so they have moved on from Tony for, for Ben. You know, and it's just a very different sort of vibe, I think. And, I mean, I'll, you know, he obviously is, is it's critical that, that, that he plays to what people thought he would be when he came out of Kansas, other than what he actually has been since, he's came out of, since he came out of Kansas. I think I, you talked about this, Chris, either on Twitter or somewhere. Um, I guess they're hoping for the the comeback yeah, uh, because I, because the the reality is Macklemore has played for four coaches in four years. Right. He, two of them didn't believe him in, in in him at all in George Carl and Dave Yeager. So, I mean, just for Gristorians out there, I mean, remember when James Posey really didn't do anything in the league until he got the Memphis right. and they figured out his role and he was very productive and everywhere he's been since you know that's who he was. I guess that's the hope. Well, when when I did a free agency draft preview, you know, back before the draft, um, before my vacation, the first player I mentioned in my free agency section was Ben McLemore. Um, And I'm pretty sure that's the first time he'd been mentioned in context of the Grizzlies. That was not me recommending that they sign Ben McLemore. That was me knowing the Grizzlies front office, knowing their roster, looking at the free agent market and trying to figure out who are they likely to think about. Mm -hmm. And the reason he jumped out to me, there were a few reasons. 
if you look at the Grizzlies front office and their history, to me, he sort of combines sort of the way Chris Wallace thinks with the way John Hollinger thinks. With Wallace, we've seen it so many times before, like trying to take the big swing on the guy who was supposed to be good mm-hmm. and hasn't been good. The yet, All American, right? yeah. the pedigree, and so <laughs> yeah. like the Josh Selby. Yeah, yeah, or an SEC like school. Yeah, Kansas <laughs> is like the cherry on top of this, right? <laughs> but yeah. you know, your Josh Selby's, your Tony Rotens. I mean, Ivan Rab, who could be great. I don't know, but he sort of fits that profile too, right? Mm-hmm. Top right. 10 high school player and then end up in the second round. And so you take a swing on what was supposed to be. So Ben McLemore is the is the classic what was supposed to be, right? He was the seventh overall pick. Like Jeff Green, and this is what worries me, he looks the part. Mm-hmm. He's the prototype build of a scoring guard. 6'5", athletic, looks great running up and down the floor. Nice form on his jump shot. He looks like he's supposed to be a player, and he looks like he's supposed to be exactly the player the Grizzlies have been looking for for years. The, mm-hmm. When they, when they, you know, Jordan Adams was supposed to be, and all these guys are supposed to be. He looks like the player. Problem is he doesn't play like the player. Mm-hmm. But it also, to me, was reminiscent of, of Hollinger a little bit because when he was at ESPN before he was with the Grizzlies, he wrote about what he called the second draft. He sort of coined this term. And the idea was – he wrote this at a time when guys were still coming out of high school into the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. The idea was players are coming into the league younger, league younger than they had before. That means a lot of them develop – it takes them longer to develop than they did before. And that sometimes you'll have a guy come in young – not quite ready, doesn't work out with the first team he's on. But then, you know, by the time he's ready to move on, he's still 22, 23, 24, right. and he can untap that potential with the second team and that it gives you the opportunity to sort of speculate on young talent fairly cheaply, this idea of the second draft. And we've seen examples of that working out. Like Damari Carroll is a classic example here right. in Memphis of a guy who who it clicked after he moved on to another team. Right. There's one of those this summer in free agency, a guy named Tony Snell, who – Looked like he was headed out of the league. Spent three years in Chicago, did not look like a player, thought his career would be over. Gets traded to Milwaukee. Suddenly he fits in their, in their system, has a good year. He just signed for $40 million. Right. And so to me, Ben McLemore combined the Chris Wallace big swing on the formal former stud prospect with the John Hollinger buy low on like the guy who hadn't worked out but is still young. And so you put those guys together and you hope like it pans out. My problem with it is... I might have signed him, but I wouldn't have signed him this soon in free agency because I think the market is tightening. And so you look at what happened last night. Oklahoma City signs this guy, Patrick Patterson, right? Mm -hmm. We know he's good. Like, he's he's only 28. He's been a rotation player on a playoff team. He's a power forward who shoots the three well. He signed for the same money, longer contract, but same money per year as Ben McLemore just signed. Mm -hmm. And Oklahoma City is not wondering if he's going to be good. They already know he's good. And so if I were the Grizzlies, given the way the market's tightening up, I would not have done that yet on Ben McLemore because I think there may be better deals out there. I know what Ben McLemore is supposed to be. I know that he can't dribble. I know he's a good good spot-up shooter. Uh, you know, he can't get to the rim. He's not a great spot-up shooter. He's not uh, Troy Daniels' spot-up shooter. He's a good spot-up shooter. He's 6'4", but he's actually not been a great defensive player. He's been a terrible defensive player. And um, so it is a swing. And I guess, um, I don't know. I, in the end, this is what it feels like to me. They got Mike, and they got Mark, and they got a lot of eh. Yeah. And, and, and I just don't know how that eh. Now, maybe... You put Ben McLemore with Mike and Mark, and he'll become something that he hasn't been before. Um, but it just feels, and this is whether Michael Green comes back or not, you know, solid player, but he, I include him in the air. You know, I mean, he's a fine, decent player. 
but he's not a difference-making dynamic player. And so, um, and, and not only that, they've got too many of these pieces of hand. You know, they've already got 13, and that's before they've got the two rookies who Chris Wallace insists aren't going to be on two-way deals, and before you deal with Tony or Vince or J. Michael or anyone else. So they got too many players, and too many of them are mediocre, except for two, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on this because the the common denominator, Chris, that struck me in your scenarios of the second draft is a lot of those guys weren't nurtured by their original franchise. Right. Uh, you mentioned Damari. You know, they had no use for him here, the, the, the staff. Uh, Snell, Thibodeau didn't like him. Right. So my question to you guys is how will we look at Fisdale who has to go in the kitchen with all this and and come out with something tasty. Well, this is one of the reasons I hired <laughs> David Fisdale, right? Because Miami has a history of doing what the Grizzlies have not been able to do, mm-hmm. and that is take guys from lower draft picks, second round, undrafted, and turn them into players. Mm-hmm. Like no one's ever heard of Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson, and some they turned them into good players, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and so one of the reasons you hire David Fisdale is because you want to try to turn people who are not top five, top ten picks, or who, who have not been good before into good players, they have been lousy at doing this. Michael Green's an example where they did it, but for the most part, they've been bad at doing this, and so you hire David Fist on part because you think he can do it, and you're giving him lots of lots of chances, right? You give yeah. him like nine or ten guys to try to do this with, Yeah. so I don't know. Well, and you have to think, honestly, and I'm not at all like pointing the finger at David himself for these roster moves. I think many of them are sort of inevitable, and it's sort of where we are and everything else. But it was interesting because I did a column on on Zebo and Tony toward the end of the year, and he was talking openly then about how he wants them to come back in the organization when they're done. And I, first of all, I thought it was a uh, perceptive and, and wise thing to say. I think it's something he believes in. I think it's all about that building the culture that he talks about. But I also thought it was sort of a signal, like that that he knew that time was coming, and that I. I suspect David Fisdale did not vote against, you know, was not, particularly in the case of Tony Allen, like, he, he, this is what he wants. You know, he wants a different team. He didn't, we, if he'd wanted to start Tony Allen, he wouldn't have started Andrew Harrison above, over him at the end of the year last year, um, when they were in, you know, when they were in the final push. And so, this is what he wants. He wants all these pieces. He wants to be able to try to nurture them. I don't know whether the quality of clay, I'm going to change your metaphor. I'll go back to your metaphor. The quality of dough is good enough to make a tasty cake. <laughs> but um, but this is clearly, I think, what he wants. Yeah, you know, and I agree. I don't think we should blame Fisdale. But we also have to acknowledge that this wasn't a grizzly assistant promoted to the, the head job. This is an outsider who has a, a different vision and right. a different way of wanting to play. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and, and it, it, in the context of the way the NBA is going today, because the Grizzlies, it, with all we've talked about with their roster, they've struggled to, you know, transition into the way the NBA is being played. Well, and that gets to the point that Tony Allen and Zach Randolph aren't just your typical, like, aging veteran players. Mm-hmm. They are, they're sort of extreme players in a way, and that Zach Randolph is one of the most, you know, old-fashioned, post-oriented, like, offensive big men left in the league, in a league that's shifting away from that. And Tony Allen, in a we, in, in a league where, like, every, everybody's supposed to be shooting threes, is a guard, essentially, who's not a three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. He's a great defender. And so both of those players, playing them in, in, in significant roles, 
forces you to play certain styles. Well, those styles have been good to the Grizzlies over the years, but those aren't the styles that Fisdale seems to want to necessarily play. And those aren't the styles that most of the league, rightly or wrongly, is wanting to play right now. And so I, I, would, I suspect that plays into it to a degree, too. Yeah, and we shouldn't expect him to come here and be the caretaker of grit and grind. Right. I mean, that's not who he is. It would be one thing if Zach were 28. This was like, whether it was going to be this year or next year, we are here anyway. So there wasn't even much of good and grind to left the caretaker. So, yeah, no, he shouldn't have been expected to be. I just worry that you want young, dynamic, talented players. It was always one of the, the complaints about Dave Yeager, which I agree with fundamentally, is he didn't want to play young players. And yet I also looked at the young players who was fundamentally given, and I sort of had some sympathy for him because there hasn't been an assembly line of explosive, dynamic young players who coaches who you know. And I don't know whether whether it's Ivan Rab or Andrew Harrison or uh, Roddy Zagorich or you take your pick. Um, I don't know whether those players will be worthy of it. You hope that some of them, because they got about ten of them now, you hope that some of them turn out to be. Well, the other problem with that is I think it's sort of like two years late and and quality short on the on this idea where. Even if some of these guys pan out, by the time th- they're truly panning out, like Marcus All and Mike Conley are going to be like sort of about done. And so, if you were going to transition to a younger, different style team around Conley and Gasol, you should have been doing that three years ago, probably. Because now Marcus All is going to be thirty-two, and Mike Conley's going to be twenty-nine. And if Ivan Rab's good when he's twenty-five, like that's too late, right? Mm-hmm. And so I almost think that you could argue they have the right idea at the wrong time, that they sort of reach the point of no return where if you want to be good right now, maybe you should have been going out and signing Joe Johnson and signing whoever instead of signing a guy who might who's going to be good in three years. Yeah. And setting aside the fact that most of these guys probably won't be good in three years. And so which which leads me to. I, I wonder when I look at what they've done the last few days, I get this and this is the no intel whatsoever. It's just me looking at the board. I wonder if they're leaving leaving themselves at the option of we want to be good this year. If like Gasol and, and Conley are all star caliber players again and Chandler Parsons is healthy and Jermichael Green is back and a couple of these kids make a lead, like we you know, we hope we hope to we hope to we hope we're good. But if we're not they're putting themselves in a position where it's easy to, to pivot hard the other way. Yeah. Where it wouldn't be as easy if Zach Randolph was on the books for two years at, you know, 20 million or whatever. Yeah. After the exit interviews, when Chris Wallace was extremely noncommittal about free agency, their own free agents, it just led me to think that, and I've seen this before, you know, they, they don't want to use the word rebuild, but they're, they're going to, to your point, they're going to try to stay competitive, but while, rebuilding right in front of our eyes on the fly because that's what they're counting on. They're counting on one of these guys to outperform the expectations right. or their contracts and just rise up and become something. But look at what just happened in the West. I know. It may not – there's a very, very good chance they look up in January and say – it's not it's not going to happen it's not going to happen like yeah. we, what we wanted to happen is just not going to happen and then you have hard decisions to make and well, i think they put themselves in the position to have flexibility to make those decisions Chris gm chris wiles even said we're going down two paths now how how tricky is that right i mean well the good news is they have their pick <laughs> you know <laughs> at least next year, year. They have their pick. at least next year they have their pick that's the good news and to me, it gets to what you said, because if they look up in the middle of the year and it's not not happening, not just will the Grizzlies um, say, you know, let's pivot, it will will Mark Gasol say, you know, he sounded all in at his end of the year and, and interview, but at some point, and that's sort of the, 
if this doesn't work on the fly, rebuilding a machine on the fly thing, that's the next thing that might ultimately happen. And that's probably what you're referring to when you talked about the hard decisions that they may have to make that may come depending on how this sort of very rigged rebuild goes. I know it doesn't seem like it's in their personality, but it may not be a hard decision if Mike or Mark say, hey, right. if you want to rebuild a la Powell, go get something for me. All right, let's wrap this up. Um, is it too soon to grade how the Grizzlies offseason has gone so far? What do you think? Oh, I think it is just because the the primary piece of business that they're going to conduct has not been conducted, and that's the Jamichael Green. Okay. Either you bring him back on a good deal, you bring him back or a mat, or a bad deal, or you don't bring him back at all, in which case I don't know what they're going to do. And so, yeah, I, I – I I am very skeptical on the McLemore, Ben McLemore signing, mm-hmm. given the way the market is shaped up. But I, I I'm still in a wait and see mode, I guess. I'm with Chris on that. This was never going to be a great off season. It wasn't going to be. It was this off season was shaped by last off season, and um, so they were never going to get an A plus on this off season. Um, I too am a little skeptical of McLemore signing. I'll I'll be interested on the J. Michael thing. I thought you're. The, the quotes from the agent were unbelievably explosive yesterday, Ron, that you got, um, and were sort of remarkable. Um, I do still think they're in a position where, you know, they have not given up the, the idea that if he comes back with a reasonable offer sheet, they'll match it. If he comes back with a offer sheet that they seem to think is extravagant, they won't match it, which is, in the end, how restricted periods are supposed to work. So, But I, I do think it's interesting, the bad blood that is sort of circulated because of this, which I, I did not at all expect, because Jermichael Green certainly was maybe it's frustration with, with the market honestly, um, but yeah. but that's an inter- been an interesting sort of side story, is the bad blood that's come out of this but the truth of the matter is the Grizzlies are still in a position to either match or not match Right, and I look at it as gamesmanship people say a lot of things, I've seen worse right. and, and then at the end of the day <laughs> At the end of the day, they kiss and make up when when the deal is done. Uh, so I, I ultimately think it'll get done because the Grizzlies still have the qualifying offer out there or else they would have rescinded it and said, OK, go about your business. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic about Ben McLemore than you guys, uh, just because, you know, you see it time and time again about change of scenery. Right. Work and wonders. The great Hubie Brown always said a lot of players get drafted by the wrong team. And going to the Sacramento Kings is just devastating. Yeah, that's always the wrong team. What I'm going to be more skeptical about this summer is Chandler Parsons. I I saw him a couple weeks ago. He's in good spirits, but I won't believe that he'll be a significant contributor until I see it in training camp. And seeing him shooting jump jumpers in an empty gym with no defense on him <laughs> on Instagram is not I'm, it's not persuasive. I'm yet. pushing all my chips of skepticism on the Chandler Parsons uh, pile. <laughs> well, and, and if that blows up, it's already sort of, if it continues on the current path, the rest of this may not matter in a way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because because Mike and Mark. And who's the third best player on the team? If it's not Chandler, they, they got a problem. It, it, it needs to be Chandler Parsons. Yeah. Any final words, Jeff? No. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Uh, yeah, all hell you, though. I do believe they'll retire the number. Um, I do believe that uh, it should be retired. And uh, I'll miss covering the big one. All right, with that, that'll be it for this edition of the Grizzlies Offseason Podcast. Check us next time.
is the Commercial Appeal.